This episode of The West Buck Show is brought to you by our own Drag Illustrated magazine. Drag Illustrated is dedicated to telling the incredible, relatable, inspiring, and entertaining stories of the people who comprise the sport of drag racing, while also examining the topics and subjects that are near and dear the heart of racers. With unparalleled access to drivers, tuners, manufacturers, and industry members, Drag Illustrated's respected and experienced team of journalists and photographers produce high-impact, opinion-forming stories that evoke passion and get racers talking. Insightful, honest, and authoritative, Drag Illustrated creates award-winning content to fuel the drag racing conversation across all mediums, print, digital, and social. Subscribe today at dragillustrated.com. That's D-R-A-G-I-L-L-U-S-T-R-A-T-E-D.com using the promo code WES, W-E-S, to get a one-year, 12-issue subscription for just 25 bucks. That's a 30% discount, friends. Do it right now. This is the first time we will have ever done this, where we've done an episode of the podcast. Uh, of course, joined today, the West Buck Show, with the one and only Murder Tundra. Glad to have you back, buddy. Glad to be here. We haven't really done anything like this. We've done the, the Ask West thing, where we, we tackle a slew of different subjects. We've done interviews. This feels kind of like the next step. I actually sat down this morning to write a blog post. It sounds like circa 2008, right? right. I was going to literally write a blog post and tackle just a really a kind of complicated and touchy subject in the sport of drag racing today. And I thought, you know what? Why don't we just do this on the podcast? So we're going to do a special episode of the podcast. And I think and I hope as we get more comfortable with this format that we'll do more of this stuff. That hat looks great on you, Murder Tundra. OK, so if unless you've been living under a rock. It seems like you can't go anywhere, especially online right now, without having to talk about no prep drag racing, right? And it's been a hot topic for the last several years, but in my opinion, it kind of felt like it had lost some of its momentum. And I, I may be wrong about that, and I'm willing to admit that, but it just seemed like I wasn't seeing as much about it. And maybe that's because my circle of friends, perhaps online and in real life, IRL in real life, don't really operate in that you know in that circle so i don't know if it was just me but i did feel personally like the no prep thing had kind of not lost its luster or anything like that but i just wasn't hearing as much about it in recent weeks however and i suppose this coincides with the filming of no prep kings the street outlaw spinoff which stars you know such big name no prep guys as and you likely know these folks better than i ryan fireball martin uh, Larry Larson is Jeff Lutz on the show still Jeff Lutz uh, Birdman and the list goes on a lot of the Chuck, guys that yeah. Chuck Sightsinger a lot of those guys that kind of made their name either on the streets of Oklahoma or on the street outlaws television television show have kind of migrated over into this Texas this, yeah, yeah there's, there's racers from Texas New Orleans all over right I think some of, some of it probably is that uh, you know now you're seeing some of the racers you know from drag racing that we that we cover most of the time you know, stepping down there. Right. Infiltrating. And I touched on that last week and I want to kind of retouch on that a little bit deeper today, but I really just want to talk about the whole subject of no prep, how it's become this massively polarizing thing. People either hate it or they love it. There's hardly anyone that's in between on in between on the subject. And that's kind of what I want to talk about. To be honest, that's where Because in a lot of ways, that's kind of where I feel I'm at. First and foremost, I think that we have to understand the lay of the land. And I've got us some bullet points here to to work through. But the first thing that I want to talk about was simply that there's a lot of different no prep drag racing going on. When you say no prep, I think that most people 
their mind immediately goes to no prep kings, what's on TV. And that's no surprise, right? It's no surprise. But I don't think it's really fair because there are a lot of promoters that are putting on no prep races that are still doing really well, that have long track records of success, that probably get overlooked or feel like they're left out in the cold. And when some made-for-TV drama thing happens on the No Prep Kings show, people generally believe that that's the type of stuff that happens at all these no prep races, which I don't believe to be the case. So I know for, you know, Shannon, they is well known Shannon Morgan. She's known as the queen of no prep. But I mean, even her, she will point to the Chicago street racing scene really as the birthplace of no prep drag racing. To the best of my knowledge, they they largely originated this. This group of street racers from the greater Chicago area got together, started holding this event once. I think it became a two times a year event called King of the Streets. Cots, as it is yep. belovingly, uh, lovingly known. Now, in recent years, that event has been through a bunch of turmoil, and I think there's been some some breakups and whatnot, but still, we would be just wrong not to give them the credit they deserve because they took what was a massively active street racing scene found a way to get it to the drag strip great lakes dragway and in union grove wisconsin and they found a way to harness that energy in what i believe to be a safe and controlled environment now we will touch as we get down the list here of bullets that we want to go through regarding no prep the safety aspect of all this but that movement initially was really well received a Fans came out of the woodwork to watch it. I mean, it is kind of local legend street racers going head to head. A lot of times there was big money on the line. There was lots of local people involved. So there was, you know, it was bragging rights were as much of anything as right. anything. I mean, it was one shop versus another shop. And you and I have experienced that here in our little town yeah. that we live in in, Midwest, in the Absolutely. Midwest in northeast Missouri that, you know, you go out and you're kind of representing for your shop or your family or whatever, your heritage. And I think that those Chicago boys really harnessed that energy and turned it into something that people across the country started to replicate. I know that that program in some ways was rebirthed in Oklahoma at uh, Thunder Valley Dragway outside of Wichita. They started having what they called King of the Concrete. And it was actually when my path first crossed or the second time my path crossed, actually, with Justin Big Chief Shear, the superstar uh, cast member of Street Outlaws. Justin organized a deal at uh, Thunder Valley where they were racing backwards up the racetrack. They were racing in the shutdown area and racing back towards the Christmas tree. And it was crazy. I remember when we ran the story on it in Drag Illustrated, we got... I heard about it. I mean, there were, I had track operators call and say, man, that's a great idea. Who's responsible for that? How, we want to try to do that. We've got a really bad street racing problem where we're from. We should try to do some stuff like that. Then I also had some people hit me up going, who are these idiots? You need to shut this down. They're racing towards a concrete pole in the center of the track that the Christmas trees mounted on. I mean, this is insane. And I know there were some videos that circulated YouTube that were pretty sketchy. So, but nonetheless, all I'm trying to... to really build as a foundation here is that this isn't like a new development it's not that new it's been around for a long time and it's just not had the big spotlight on it that it has currently until recently there's also matt plotkin the aforementioned shannon morgan there's a there's and there are several others and i know we're leaving some out those are just some people that we're close with that we know do these things the redemption no prep series matt's events uh the winter meltdown and there's one in oklahoma called outlaw armageddon which is 
kind of part of no prep folklore. It's a massively well-attended event that draws tens of thousands of fans, and I think it has like an invite-only kind of invitational format, which is really exciting, and you people went to talk one about. A while back, didn't you? Or where was that at? That was that was called. What was that called? It was called. Um, American Outlaws Live, yeah, yeah. and that was at the Motorplex, and mm-hmm. te- the Texas Motorplex, and what that was, it's kind of an interesting story that we might as well touch on. That was when that aforementioned momentum and excitement that I felt was waning, at that moment, everybody was diving into no prep, right? Everybody I talked to was trying to have a no prep race somehow, some way, and that was an effort by Brit and Slate Cummings and who are very well known and respected bracket race promoters who partnered with I believe Mitch Clary and a handful of other people I honestly don't know who all was involved but it was a big effort to basically put on a 75,000 to win no prep race I went to it it was an invite only deal and it was pretty it was a fun event I had a lot of fun I felt like I kind of got my Arms wrapped around this scene a little bit. I met Birdman, James Finney, and I met the car owner there, and I met Chuck 55. I don't know everybody's name, but I mean, Big Chief, Murder Nova, those guys were all there. Daddy Dave, Chuck Sightsinger, who I've known for a long time and has always been really nice to us. I know that he kind of comes off as a super asshole on the show, but he's always treated me well. I think the same goes for you. Uh, Kamikaze, there was almost all the Street Outlaw stars were there, along with a slew of other guys that were kind of notorious in their local areas. Unfortunately, we've, that we've, event... We've gotten along great with most all of them. To be honest I, with you, like Personality-wise, I don't know that I can really say anything negative about a single yeah. one of these guys. I've met a lot of wonderful people. Yeah, Dave yeah. Comstock is a really good guy. Uh, always speaks to me when we see each other. The The guy with the Monza... The, I mean, everybody that I talk to, the Vega guy, I can't think, Shane, yeah. all those guys are very polite. Andrade, I don't know if he's still on the show, but I mean, he was always a super nice guy, mm-hmm. and he's a he's a Midwest guy. So, I, I really can't, I mean, we're, we're diverging here, but I, I got no problem with any of those guys. And I do think that there's a little bit of an us versus them thing developing, that if we accomplish anything here on this episode of the show, I just kind of want to tackle that, hit it head on, get my opinions out there, and let people know that I, first and foremost, despite all of the what would seemingly be negative publicity that's going on right now, I think this has been a great thing for the sport of drag racing, and I'm going to talk about why. First and foremost, well, and we have to touch on the differences. Again, there are all these non-televised, no-prep events going on. And I just want to make it clear that those are not, they are not a function of, they are not connected to anything that's being shown on Discovery Channel during primetime, right? These are totally separate happenings. And it's a, it's a, in those two things have to, the biggest issue that we've kind of got to tackle is can these two things coexist, right? And it's just like you and I talked about, there is a huge difference between like a WWE Monday Night Raw produced show and then like a tough man contest at your local beer joint where anybody who wants to pay 20 bucks and strap on a set of gloves and some headgear can give can climb in the ring and give it a shot. And I think the no prep Kings deal is kind of getting a bad rap for protecting their cast. And I'm going to take some shit for this because I've always side with my racers. I, I always do. But I think 
we'd be foolish not to at least recognize the perspective of Discovery Channel, right? right? So they're putting on this show, and I think that they're having a little bit of an identity crisis, right? And we've talked about this a lot. I see this happen over and over in the sport of drag racing with organizations, team owners, the list goes on, where you media outlets, where you start to have a little bit of an identity crisis, and you don't really know who you are, what you're trying to do. You don't have an end goal in mind, and I think that that's what... And I don't think any of those things are necessarily true with Discovery Channel, but I do think that they're they're trying to do a lot of things, right? So they're going to put on this show, but they're also going to dive into event promotion. And now they're going to start having races. And now they're dealing with some of the fallout of when you try to meld those two things. Mm-hmm. My opinion, and they're also a little bit of a victim of their own success, because now people want to be a part of it. A year or so ago, they were, they were reaching out to racers. They were reaching out to the Dwayne Mills of the world and asking them to come run with no prep kings come be a part of the show be you know be a i hate to use the word extra because i think that kind of sounds negative but you know what i mean basically be an extra be an extra on set we've got our main guys you're going to be an extra you're going to come you're going to race or whatever well as we've predicted those extras show up and they upstage all your celebrated cast and that's what's happened continually here in 2019 is that you have all these guys that are not a part of the show that are not part of Vince McMahon's produced WWE storyline right Mm -hmm. coming in and kicking everybody's ass and it's upset the apple cart and I think anybody with a brain could have predicted this is what was going to happen you start bringing they haven't came in and dominated or anything yet but I think that that's what they're afraid that that's what's going to happen correct you know like uh, you know I guess uh, Ryan Martin did beat you know, Mills on their first pass. But that was like their first pass in that car. You know, they're going to get that thing dialed in. I mean, that's, this is what they do. You know, right. They're professionals. You know? well, they're, I couldn't agree more. So, and maybe I'm misspeaking by saying that they've come in there and dominated. But I know that Jamie Miller, that the crew chief on Dwayne Mills, Kong Camaro with the driver, Daniel Ferris. These are pros, man. These guys are do, do it for a living, right? And that is just a level of commitment and a level of expertise that I don't know that that particular circle of people is quite prepared to contend with. You know, a lot of these guys are running these cars with their friends and their buddies or their dad or whatever. However, my prediction, and I'm getting ahead of myself is here, but my prediction is it won't be long till we see all those aforementioned tuners working for Ryan Martin, working for Birdman, working for... Yeah, and we've seen some of them already. It's already yeah. happening. Yeah. Uh, Lizzie Musi, who's an established cast member, uh, well-known as the girlfriend of Kai Musi. Kai, Kai Musi. Oh, Kai Kelly. I, that may get... That's going to be a hashtag by the yeah. end of the day. But Kai Kelly's girlfriend, Lizzie Musi, daughter of Pat Musi, legendary engine builder, tuner, and driver in his own right. I mean, he shows up over there to help Lizzie and Kai and all of a sudden Lizzie's winning the race and Kylie's like in the finals. I mean, it's that's going to make a difference, but I think we're going to see the whole kind of brand of drag racing move up that direction. But it is interesting how this has become such a polarizing thing and I think we've kind of we've made all the we, we've brought up all the really things that I wanted to talk about to lead up to this thing of the safety aspect of it. The first thing that I have to say when it comes to drag racing and this isn't always well received but it's true that volunteers can't be victims right i mean it's they they that's a it's a hypocritical notion you know like we all know the danger of this stuff and we and i i believe that anybody that goes and enters their car into a no prep 
drag racing event. I mean, by definition, this is more dangerous than an already dangerous sport typically is, right? You're racing a car that is very powerful, very hard to handle on a prepped surface, and you're putting it on a completely unprepped surface. And there's a lot of different layers to that conversation that we can have later, but we all know what could happen. And by all accounts, people are tearing a lot of shit up, right? I mean, it seems like a hardly a week goes by a weekend, excuse me, that goes by of nice weather that I don't get on Facebook or Instagram or whatever or open my email and hear about some tragic situation where a car got loose at a no prep race and hit went in the other lane or barrel rolled or bounced off both walls. And it it does suck. And I hate that. I mean, as a promoter and as just a massive pan fan of this sport, I don't you don't ever want to see anybody tear their stuff up. Right. I mean, it's few understand and appreciate how much time and effort and money, et cetera, et cetera, goes into this stuff. So to see it all wadded up along the guardrail somewhere, it's a heartbreaker. But that, I mean, that can happen in a regular drag race with a prep track. I mean, it happens all the time. It happens all, all the, the time. time. And I think that, and this is going to be another somewhat controversial thing, but there have been times when I kind of felt like drag racing at different times has become so predictable that I think a little bit of that risk and excitement is kind of well received. It, it's 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 exciting. I mean, you I have to, you have to tune to the track, right? And know. I think that's another subject line, you know, that we can talk about as well. But this the safety aspect of it, everybody knows what they're getting into. I think the guy in the other lane knows that his chances of a car coming into his lane are greatly increased when we're racing on a no prep surface. And I think that. We're probably not seeing the worst of it. The cars are getting faster. There are more people coming into it. The people that are coming into it, by and large, don't have experience in that area. I mean, a lot of the people that are showing up at no prep races are very skilled drag racers, but they're not like they don't have a lot of laps on unprepped surfaces. They're not street racers. You know, it's a totally different deal. I believe Pat Musi proved at crew chiefing for Lizzie Musi this past weekend at the Epping, New Hampshire event of uh, No Prep Kings filming that a talented crew chief is going to make the car go down the track, whether the track's good or bad or otherwise, or, or somewhere in between. And that's, you know, the cream rises to the top, period. My point really is just that as dangerous as it may be, you hit the nail on the head, Murder Tundra, that the cool part about it is the challenge that it presents and the leveling of the playing field. Because, like you said, it's not like all these these big money teams are running away with it. No. Birdman tr- ran a train on these guys for like two full seasons, and I would argue that he had one of the lesser funded, more you know low buck operations in the whole deal. I mean, you're talking about an old pro stock single frame rail. Firebird. This isn't like the latest, greatest Bickle car. I mean, it's not. I mean, this is a car that's been wrecked, been upside down probably in that in that trailer crash they had. I mean, that thing has had a hard go of it. It's been raced on public roadways. It had I don't know exactly what engine was in it, but I believe it was like a conventional headed big block Chevy with twins with big twin turbos. It's not like this thing made 5000 horsepower like a new Proline Hemi. You know, this is something that that's a car that I would say most guys with a business, an auto repair shop, a tow shop, a collision center could have. And could, he was good at getting that power that he had to the ground. Right. Know, like, 
and he and was outrunning guys. guys that had better equipment than him. Yeah, routinely, right? So I do think that that's probably the magic of no prep. Is that that was the thing that I enjoyed the most about going to that first ever no prep race that I went to, which was American Outlaws Live in Ennis, Texas, outside Dallas. Was I love the fact that it seemed humble. You didn't see tons of toter homes and stacker trailers. You saw a lot of dually pickups with gooseneck trailers or tag trailers. You saw regular people. And it, it was kind of inspiring in some ways to go. You know, man, there's a lot of like people like me, people like you, people that have jobs, people that, you know, don't have multi-million dollar businesses that are just paying for a program. You know what I mean? With yeah, all this gravy that's on their it's plate. kind of what we thought when we went to uh, our first streetcar takeover. You know, we're like, absolutely like, wow. Yeah. You know, this is this is our jam. You it know? is. I mean, I mean, and I kind of and it's hard for me to kind of jump on the bandwagon of bagging on no prep racing and i will admit we haven't necessarily i mean we got to take ownership of the fact that we haven't necessarily embraced it at a high level we've not ignored it we've done plenty I've been trying right you've been trying you've been pushing the 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 all-knowing murder tundra you've been pushing this agenda for a while i felt like we kind of did our part when we put the cast of the street outlaws on the cover of Drag Illustrated. It's been many moons ago now, admittedly, but I wanted people to know we caught hell for it, dude. I still, and I don't know that I've even told you about this. I still catch hell for it. Really? I think that's been almost ten years ago. It's like five. Okay, well, I'm half off, half a decade ago, and (laughs) that's a big swing and a miss right there. It's been a long time, okay, and that deal happened. And I'm still catching shit about it. There is a police officer, and I don't want to get myself in further shit here, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. There is a police officer that is sending emails to the NHRA telling them not to let me announce because I have publicly endorsed the street outlaws. Oh, that same guy that emailed us? The same guy. Way back when? Yeah, it's unbelievable. But this guy is like on a vigilante mission to ruin me because... We endorsed the street outlaws. And that's a whole other story. I do hope people listening in know that, like, we deal with some bullshit around here, man. Like, 99.9% of the time, no, 100% of the time, we have the best interest of the sport of drag racing in mind. And you could not then and you cannot now tell me that street outlaws on Discovery Channel hasn't been very good for the sport of drag racing. I will admit. There's probably been more citations written for street racing. There's probably been some CNI tickets written for burnouts or whatever. Man, I don't know. Street racing used to be huge. I right. mean, you know, back in the day. So, I mean, I just, you, I mean, are we mad at Fast and the Furious? Because I remember literally leaving the movie. Th- I vividly remember this. Leaving the movie theater after Fast and the Furious. The first, the first ever, first uh, version of the movie. And, I mean, everybody grandmas everybody was squealing their tires leaving the parking lot i mean i saw like dodge caravans going you know i mean everybody was gunning it zipping around downtown i mean i'm like oh man someone's gonna die tonight and someone probably did you know but i don't know that made me want a corona (laughs) made you want a corona yeah i'm not surprised yeah do you want a corona (laughs) says vin diesel but no i mean it's i i just think that I'm tired. I get frustrated, and this is a whole other deal, but I do get frustrated when I don't know that the television or Hollywood is responsible for raising my children. I am. 
I'm responsible for teaching my kids right from wrong, what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. And I don't I don't expect Discovery Channel to do it. I really don't. I, I think that it's my my responsibility. And I also get frustrated that it's like we Hollywood and television. We've been romanticizing horrible things for 100 years. I mean, some of the most popular celebrated movies of all time, like Scarface comes to mind. This guy, they they were cutting people up with chainsaws and bathtubs, snorting piles of cocaine, and it's like one of the most popular movies of all time. That's why I do both of those. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true, right? I mean, we constantly romanticize things that are illegal. I mean, there's, and mob movies are, in my opinion, the best example. Mob movies are some of the most, I mean, The Godfather, The Godfather 2, and I mean, all the Goodfellas, Casino. Yeah. I mean, there's all these movies that are beloved by millions of people that are about horrible shit. Yeah. Really horrible shit. But we didn't all go start a mob. No, there's bank robber movies. I mean, yeah, it's like, I mean, it's all of them. So everybody. now now the Street Outlaws, Discovery Channel, and everybody associated is a criminal. Yeah. I mean, it's clearly, I mean, I actually rolled Dexter. up. Yeah, right. Dexter, which is actually one of my favorite shows. This guy's a vigilante serial killer, yeah. and you love him. I love Dexter. I would love to hang out with him right now. He seems like the coolest person alive, and he's a murderer. But that's what Hollywood did to me. Yep. You know, Showtime, kudos. Made me fall in love with a serial killer. But my point, and you know what? Kudos to Discovery Channel for making people fall in love with this kind of raucous, motley crew of car guys. Mm-hmm. You know, because... That that click exists in most cities in America, right? I'm part of that click here in Kirksville, here in the little town we're broadcasting from. There is a click of car guys, right? We get together, we hang out together. Some of us, you know, everybody's kind of got their own story. We're all from different walks of life. Some of us get along really well. Some of us have checkered past. I mean, it's that storyline exists. That little click of car guys exists, I would say, in every town in america big and small there's a group of car guys man automotive this car culture runs deep and wide you know and i think that we should really be giving kudos to the discovery channel folks and pilgrim studios and everybody else involved for identifying this as entertaining i actually had a conversation a couple of last week actually with a lady who is a kind of like a uh, talent I want to say talent scout she's like a content scout she works with a lot of major studios in the country uh, to help develop and cultivate automotive related content mainly video content so she'll look at what you're doing and provide pointers and take you know and give you some notes or whatever I actually showed her uh, some stuff that we've been working on at Drag Illustrated to get some of her feedback and she was telling me some of the issues that exist with drag racing at a pro level And it was so funny to hear her say, drag racing's squeaky clean image is probably drag racing's biggest hurdle. Agreed. And that's what she said, is that we've tried. And nobody wants to say anything even remotely close to to, to racy or, um, you know, off color or whatever. Everybody is afraid to hurt someone's feelings. At the high level. At the highest level. And the high level in drag racing, I mean, the NHRA, it's big. It's a big organization. It's where all the people that could be thrown into, you know, that are dying to be thrown into a TV show type of situation. None of them are willing to do spit in someone's face. None of them are willing to wear their heart on their shirt sleeve. None of them are really willing willing to say what they think 
and own it and deal with the consequences. And I understand that. I do. I get it. There, it's a multi-layered. There's a lot of layers to that onion, as I like to say. And it's true. But my big thing on this no prep deal is that I think as a sport, we have to kind of recognize that by and large, this is a good thing for drag racing. And I see it specifically as a good thing for drag racing in that it's been fantastic for small tracks. I know track owners throughout the Midwest who have paid and admittedly have paid money to book in. Not even top talent from Street Outlaws, but some of the middle of the road or kind of lower rung guys to come in for a match race at their local venue, a best two out of three match race. And the next thing you know, they've got 1,500, 2,500, 3,500 people in the stands paying tickets, buying hot dogs and buying beer to watch the guys from Street Outlaws make two or three runs. And that's a fantastic thing. And there's not really been anything like that for a couple of decades, in my opinion, maybe longer. You know, I mean, the, and that's something that I point to that they're doing that I think NHRA could learn from is they're developing these stars. Kudos to the, to the Discovery Channel people because I'm not sure that everybody fully understands like the galaxy of things that are happening, right? So you've got Street Outlaws and you know, you've tried a couple of spinoffs. Street Outlaws, Memphis is doing okay. It's doing okay. I think it's filming its. Is it going to film again? Well, I know that they're filming this week. I, I was actually in Memphis last weekend, and I saw the set where they're filming the street they were filming on. Oh, Memphis? Yes. Oh, yeah, I yeah. talked to J.J. DeBoss. They're filming. I do think the uh, Street Outlaws New Orleans has been... I think, yeah. I, I think it's been canned. But my point is, they're smart enough to know, okay, we got to start some spinoffs while we got some momentum. we got to start identifying other stars, and we've got to find a way to harvest new stars. So they've put together, so they put together No Prep Kings. Right, which is probably easier to film because it's at racetracks, control environments, no city permits involved, nothing like that. These are places that are designed to do this, not the road next to the Millington Airport, which is where they were filming Memphis Street Outlaws last weekend. So it's a much, I, I have to believe it's a much simpler process. Plus, there's a potential profit motive because you can sell tickets and parking to the deal and Pay to create content. I mean, I think that that is something no one's talking about. How brilliant what they're what they're doing with No Prep Kings is. It's brilliant. I mean, you are literally making money creating a TV show that you are then going to go sell for more money. Yes, it's brilliant. Yeah, kudos to them. We're all jealous. That's what we are. I mean, we're all jealous that they're out there literally. Putting on a drag race, selling tickets, probably selling entry fees, selling you know concessions, selling merch, and then they're going to bundle bundle it all up into a TV show and sell it to Discovery or some overseas you know syndication program for millions, if not billions, of dollars. It's unbelievable, man. I mean, and and kudos to those folks for having done it. But my point is, I think there's something that NHRA and drag racing as a whole could kind of learn from this whole deal. Like I, I, I'm going to give a couple examples that I think are kind of convenient here. Three, NHRA for sure. We have to have, like, John Force is like. Let's draw some parallels, okay? Real quick, Murder Tundra. So John Force is the biggest show star we have in NHRA drag racing. Big Chief is the biggest star they have in the Street Outlaws No Prep world, right? They are actively trying to replace Big Chief. 
actively. Seems, seems way, yeah. It would seem that way. And I know from people on the other side of this conversation that it's not necessarily replace him, but they know they have to create more star power. Right. They have to they have to keep the pipeline full because they don't want to be in a situation where Big Chief doesn't renew his contract. Maybe Big Chief gets an opportunity to go do his own show on HBO or whatever. Doesn't They've, show up to a certain or doesn't race. show. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they understand that he's kind of got them. In my opinion, I won't say that he's got them by the balls, but he's their main star, no question, right? And I'm sure that that's a situation that has to be managed. So then Chuck took over the no prep kings, and yeah. they were trying to yeah. thrust him. In my opinion, from a thirty thousand foot perspective, it felt like, and you've kind of filled me in on some of this. It has felt like they were trying to push Ryan Martin, another Oklahoma guy, a 405 guy, which I think is important, a 405 guy, and they're trying to push Chuck into kind of like the the main guys with some top, with, with boosted GT, Chris, as kind of like a recurring main character, uh, and Birdman, perhaps. Birdman felt like a dark horse that they were going to leave as a dark horse, right? They were going to focus on him, but he was going to kind of be this dark horse. He's not part of their club, right? Um, and it felt very strategic. And I guess I look over here at NHRA, and that pause was on purpose. Yeah. Like, it's just silence. It's crickets. It's like, oh, God, let's hope John Force runs another year. Let's, you know, there, and we're not even that's creating. Something, that's something we've talked about for years. And that's something that the magazine's mostly about. I mean, we put people on the front of the. Absolutely, magazine. man. I mean, not, and not, we, not you've got to develop this next crop of stars. And I know that there's, you know, the NHRA talks about these type of things, but I don't know that, like, there, there's not actually things happening. There may be conversations, which is a start. But to go over here to the, in, to the no prep people, they started a whole new series. Right. I mean, I have argued recently that I think the NHRA would be wise to put together some sort of nitro match race thing. NHRA's Nitro Live. And it's literally a developmental program for guys that are low buck nitro racers. Take them under your wing. Get them discounted parts from your pro teams. Like have John Force has to have one adopted team. Don Schumacher has to have one adopted team. Steve Torrance has to have one adopted team. Connie Coletta has to have one adopted team. All of a sudden, you've got four top fuel cars or funny cars that can use spare parts or extra parts. You can put signage on it. NHRA could put signage on those cars. And you take those cars on a 10-12 race you know, tour of the country running at small venues. Would they have to run a student student driver sticker? I think it'd be a fantastic <laughs> idea. It would add to, you know, nitro yeah. student drivers. Yeah. There's nothing, that would be an awesome campaign, man. You could paint the cars up like that. You could play it up. But I guarantee you that if they put together the premise of that program, they could sell it to somebody. Somebody would come in and be, because I know that if I was any of these companies that is investing heavily in drag racing right now, whether it's Jags, Summit, uh, Lucas Oil, of course, comes to mind, I would have no problem with at least exploring and hearing a pitch on two completely, I mean, can you imagine two Jags funny cars and two Jags top fuelers riding around in two semis that were going to 10 or 12 races and they weren't going to Gateway. They're going to small tracks. They're going to Extreme Raceway Park outside Dallas, an all-concrete eighth-mile NHRA member track. They're going to 
Cordova. They're going to, you know what I mean? And you start to introduce our brand of drag racing, Nitro, 300 miles an hour, header flames. You're starting to introduce those people to it. And the guys that want to eventually get in the big show, they know that the pathway is to go be one of the dudes that run on that deal. And I bet there are some guys right now that don't want to go beat their head against the wall trying to run 24 NHRA Nitro funny car races. They'd come run this deal. Yeah. You know, they'd come run this deal and you don't got to pay them a million dollars. Most of these guys are losing their ass to go drag racing anyways. So if it paid a little bit of money, I'm just and obviously that sounds crazy, but we just spitballed that idea in six minutes on a podcast. I mean, there's just so many stars that are in the NHRA that they don't focus on. You know, we've talked about that a lot on the show, off the show, around the office. You know, Stevie Jackson, Eric Anders, Alex Laughlin. I mean, uh, J.R. Todd. I mean, there's just there's there's. There's a ton of these guys. They really are, man. You know? Sean Langdon, Matt Hagen. Yeah, just show, I mean, there's show us Leah, some Pritchett. Yeah, Leah Pritchett. Leah Pritchett show, show is us some personality a personality behind these people, dude. You know? Leah Pritchett's a star. Yeah, she is a superstar. And I think I actually, and I would be, it'd be wrong of me not to talk about this because I recently found myself in hot water over a comment I made on social media, which I've since deleted. Uh, I feel a little bit like a chicken shit for having deleted it, but I do. I don't want anything to be misinterpreted, and I was humbled a little bit and honored that what I post online is is magn- you know it's it's uh, scrutinized like it is. It was kind of a flattering situation, but I did make a post. There's been a, a, a whirlwind of negative stuff about the no prep thing. There was some controversy at a recent no prep kings filming where, and I don't even want to pretend to know. There was some some sort of let somebody back. I don't but, even know. But I, but I think that goes back to the. Uh um, what we've talked about is if are they going to have a TV show or are they going to run a race? Because you know, if they're if they're going to run a TV show, you know they have the the, the draw, so you got to get lucky to draw back in. But everybody has that opportunity. You know what they're trying to do? I think is not have any buy runs. Correct you know, for, for for the crowd, and, and it makes sense, show. man. I mean, I, I mean, I get it. I get, I get it. it, and and I also think that in my opinion and in their defense, still went out and won. It's a TV show, man. You can do whatever you want. I mean, you make the rules, right? I mean, no one says you're right in the rule book. Nowhere in this does it have they said, to my knowledge, that like, hey, you can expect a No Prep Kings event to run exactly like an NHRA national event. I don't think that's ever been the promise, right? I mean, it's their sandbox. I think a lot of hardcore racing fans, you know, uh, that that know Dwayne Mills, that know Daniel Ferris, you know, I think that they want to see like, hey, if these guys build a car and they go down there, you know, let them run. I mean, right. I think that's what they want. But, and, th- but then you see the other side of having a TV show of protecting your cast, like you talked about. Right. And I, and I think we'll have, we're going to have to discuss that. But I want to get back to what I said. I made a comment online, and what I said, and I'll paraphrase my own words here, was basically that it was sad and painful to see so many racers clamoring to be part of this no prep craziness. Right. And I suppose the no prep craziness could have been taken as a as a a slam. And that's not how I meant it. What I meant was that as a promoter, it is crazy to me to see how many people are lining up to go be a part of this. But here comes the big but. I don't know that I can blame them. I would argue that Lizzie Musi is going to receive more publicity and fanfare from winning that episodes of No Prep Kings when it airs than if she won every PDRA race this year, won every NHRA Pro Mod race this year. TV's powerful. TV is painfully powerful. So when I said that, it wasn't necessarily tongue-in-cheek, but it was kind of like, 
I mean, it's my opinion on it. It's kind of sad for me going, man, I hate to see, I mean, the biggest stage that exists in drag racing right now, I would argue, is no prep kings. Could be. I mean, I mean, I, I understand that the NHRA often likes to talk about their their numbers and this to and the that. Hardcore fan, but to the casual fan, to the casual fan. I mean, and I know the NHRA has what I believe to be good television ratings, but I'm telling you, I've seen it. I mean, I've seen the real street level evidence, and that's that I can go to dinner with Leah Pritchett, and if we're at dinner, or Erica Enders, or Alex Laughlin. For the most part, we can go to dinner and no one, unless it's at a restaurant a mile away from the racetrack, they're just people wearing colorful shirts with logos all over them, right? Now, if you're at the Outback in Baytown, Texas, where all the racers go next to the racetrack or whatever, yeah, some people are going to know them. But, like, you can't get, Big Chief can hardly go in public, Right. I mean, I actually remember I was close friends uh, and I still am. I was close friends with the Trick My Truck guys. Right. Rod and Kevin Pickett at the height of CMT's Trick My Truck show. This was huge. They couldn't go outside. I mean, they couldn't go to Walmart. They couldn't go to dinner. They couldn't do anything. They were legitimate celebrities, man. They were in the public eye 24 seven. Almost drove them crazy. I bought a semi. Right. I mean, hey, man, the show, it, was good. It, the show was great. And then you look at like um, the what's going on with the street outlaws. I mean, you go to the PRI show. There's a six mile line to get Big oh, Chief's autograph. Nuts, you know, it's unbelievable. So, again, I feel like I've seen the proof on a well, like, in real life. I'm going to ask you this in our local town. Let's say you go to your kid's ball game or something and somebody goes, oh, you're in drag racing, right? Yeah. Yeah. What question do they ask you? Do you know them Street Outlaw guys? Dude, I get every all time. The time. Literally. Yeah. My dad's repair shop. I'll go in there every once in a while over the lunch hour and there'll be some older gentleman in there. Hey, Wes, how how are you doing? How's that drag racing stuff going, you know? And I'll say, "Oh, good, man. Whatever. Just got back from, you know, the NHRA national event in Richmond, Virginia." Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, do you know that that Daddy Dave and Big Chief? You know them guys? Do you know Murder <laughs> yeah, Nova? No, it's crazy. And it's like, yeah. I yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Um yeah, I do. Let, let's uh, let's talk about that a little bit more. But it just shows you that they have like penetrated pop culture. They're a part of pop culture right now, and they've maintained it for a long time. I've been waiting for it to fade, and it doesn't. It hasn't seemed to. It's kind of crazy to be honest. So, all that said, I just think that there's definitely a da- there's two sides to this story. There's two sides of this razor sharp blade. And it's that, you know what, no prep drag racing, they tear up a lot of stuff. Looks pretty sketchy to me. But it's done a great thing for the sport of drag racing. There's a whole lot of people talking about it. There's a whole lot of people going to these events. And I think that there are more new first-time fans showing up at these events than any. I mean, it's just true. And they're paying, it's a different type of first-time fan. A lot of the first-time fans drag racing uh, was getting... Like in the two at the height of the ADRL, for instance, throughout like the late 2000s, those people were coming to their first drag race because they got a free ticket. Right. These people had either zero interest in cars and racing or like a passing interest. The people that are buying tickets to these no prep king events coming to their first race. I mean, they're into this deal. 
They may not know what a quadrajet carburetor is, or they may not know how to you know change their own oil, but they're they're into it. They want to go see Big Chief. They want to go see you know Fireballs Camaro. You know they're they're into it. They're fans, and I think that those people, there's a higher likelihood we're going to get one of them to buy a performance vehicle, put a Pro Charger on their daily driver, show up at the drag races when the NHRA is nearby. Do you understand? I mean, I think that, yeah. that that's a better lead. And we, we talk about lead generation all the time. In the sales world, lead generation is everything. And if I'm the NHRA, I'm going, that is killer lead generation. The NHRA should probably be promoting their events at those no prep king events. I mean, my aforementioned match race deal, what better place to send a couple nitro funny cars to make two runs Yeah. Damn. than a no prep race? Yeah. You know what I mean? And from what I understand, at the end of the night, the track's not that bad. Send them. I would. I literally would. Yeah. No problem. You know, you talked. You could make them go. You talked about safety, and I mean, it, this is every sport. You know, you got people volunteering to go. So, do you think the guy that was uh, promoting flat track motorcycles back in the day, when somebody put shocks on on a motorcycle and lightened it up and said, "You know what? We're going to take this over a track and we're going to call this motocross." You know, we're going to put jumps on it. And then you think that guy that was doing that, you think he, you know, they probably talked bad whenever uh, somebody said, you know what, we're going to throw this in a stadium with some crazy triples and, you know, we're going to get these babies up in the air. Right. You know, I mean, if we're talking about safety, I mean, every sport has progression. Inherent danger as well. Like, And I think that it could be argued that some of that danger is part of the show. It's part of the allure. Right. I mean, I know I can speak. I can speak from experience, good or bad, that there's really no feeling quite like um, going street racing. I mean, there's just not. It's you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing. It's dangerous. You can get it's illegal. I mean, it's intoxicating. And I don't want to. I'm not. I'm not promoting it here. I'm just saying that like that exists with drag racing too. I mean, you strap in one of these cars, you know that it's dangerous. And I've had to. There's been a handful of times that I've had to kind of remind some folks that, like, hey, give him a high five. He's strapping into a 3,000, 3,500 horsepower Pro Mod. Like, don't be so naive, you know, as to think that nothing could go wrong. Yeah, and they drive themselves or whatever. Yeah, we right. heard it all, yeah. You know, and, I mean, also, cars are safer now today than ever. And I think that we've got to give a lot of credit to chassis builders. I think that I think racers are more vigilant than ever. I think there's more information, and I think that vigilance has come from all the horror stories that social media has made massively prevalent. Because they can see them now. You see it happen all the time. You see somebody breaking an axle, or you see someone, you know, something happens because they didn't make tighten, uh, tighten up a bolt. I know that, like, Doug uh, Cook at Motion Raceworks is constantly posting up, like, reminders, like, hey, going racing this weekend? Why not take an hour and just go over, go over everything? Tighten every bolt, check every fitting, check every belt. Just do it, right? And I think that little things like that go a long way. We're very sensitive to it right now. And again, chassis builders and manufacturers, parts and pieces. I mean, I sat down with the folks at Impact Safety earlier this year and had them go over all the technology that goes into their seatbelts. It's unbelievable. The equipment that these racers are using is everything's getting better. Everything's as good as it has ever been and only getting better. And I do think racers are a little bit more proud to be safety oriented. You talk to Stevie Fast Jackson. This is a guy that has if it will make his car safer or keep him safer, he buys it. You know, I mean, that and that's 
that's encouraging for me. That's something that I think is exciting to talk about. And because I don't know that it's always been the case because there was a time when everybody wanted to be a badass, right? Nobody wanted to wear a fire jacket. They're going to wear their Wranglers and a Jags fire jacket. And if anybody gives them shit about it, they can, you know, whatever, take a hike. That's not really, I mean, I think in this day and age, it's cool to have the best fire suit money can buy. It's cool to have a carbon fiber shell helmet. It's cool to have a Hans device. It's cool to have, you know, gloves, 15 layer gloves with the skull or the skeleton bones on them or whatever. You know what I mean? People are a little bit more proud of that stuff. It's become a status symbol. It's a great place. And I guess, and I'm sure we're, we'll tail in, we'll book in this conversation, Murder Tundra, with the the whole situation that exists with, you know, Donald Long is... Donald Long is one of the the, the most popular uh, and also polarizing promoters the drag racing world has ever known. I would I would say that he is the most polarizing drag racing promoter the world has ever known. There's probably only one Kenny Nolling. It's probably the only one that even comes close to to sparking so much emotion in people. And Donald Long has done a, a innumerable awesome things for the sport of drag racing, and he has this huge following. And I think that. The, the, the dirty little secret that we're about to expose is that his effort to bag on no prep racing is as calculated as the day is long. He, he may at some level really not like it, and that's great, but he is using this as a campaigning platform. You need something to latch on to, and in Making Friends, there's actually a book, and here I go with some racer self-help. Great books, but literally there's a book on my shelf right over there. Um... It's called Winning Friends and Gaining Influence. And one of the points that are mentioned in it about how to win friends and gain influence is to identify a common enemy, right? So if you know that you're going to a networking event and you know the guy you're trying to meet is like super pro-gun, right? The first thing you need to tell him is that you just bought an AR-15, with a hundred round drum and no one is going to take it from you. Right. I mean, in my lifetime NRA membership, right? Yeah. I'm a lifetime yeah, yeah. NRA. Cause you instantaneously identify all the liberal anti-gun people as a common enemy. And this person that may otherwise have never talked to you is now your best friend. Right. You may be sleeping in his guest room tonight. I mean, and it, and it goes the other way. If you're in some situation and you're kind of pro gun or whatever, but you're trying to meet some, some gal that's, you know, the governor or whatever of your state, or you're trying to win someone over and you know, they're super pro gun or super pro anti gun dive in, man, these, this, these gun laws need to be talked about. Right. I mean, <laughs> and I know it sounds a little bit calculated, but that's what Donald's doing. Donald has identified a common enemy and he's gotten all of his followers and all these people that were kind of fence straddlers to, to fight the fight with him. He's literally identified and guys enemy. do it every night at the bar yeah, with women. They do. <laughs> I, I mean, it's <laughs> a very, very, very common and effective strategy. It really is, man. And I think that that's, what, that's what's happening here. Donald's put a, a bullseye on the back of no prep drag racing, and he's going to use this as a, as a campaigning tool. Donald is always, and you notice that he's always quick to do this, and everybody could learn his willingness to do this type of outlandish stuff I, you and I have both had conversations that we sometimes don't know how he gets away with it. You know, we should oh, call yeah. him the Teflon duck, <laughs> the Teflon Don, you know, because it's unbelievable that 
shit gets thrown, but it just never sticks, man. He can pretty much get away with murder out here. And it's, it's an amazing thing. And I don't know that I would encourage everybody just to replicate it, but I do think that there are, it would be hard to replicate. I mean, it, really it would be hard to yeah. replicate what he does, but I would encourage people to speak their piece a little bit. Yeah. I know that it's tough, though, because it's easier said than done, because in this political correct world we live in, a lot of damage can be done really quickly. And you have to be prepared for the fallout. You have to be prepared for the consequences, you know, because I'll tell you that when I made that comment on social media last week, that I had no idea the, the fallout that was going to come from it. Mm-hmm. And I meant no harm. You know, I was literally sitting around. It was late. I was kind of feeling froggy. I'd probably had like four margaritas. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? This is what I think. And that has ripple effect, you know, and it's getting screenshot and it's getting sent around. And all of a sudden, did you see what Wes said? And it's like, now I've got a big problem in front of me. Yeah. You know, I got I got drama I got to deal with. I spent my entire Memorial Day weekend dwelling on it. And so need, it's tough. It is. I need a breathalyzer on my phone before I you know, like you get home you have to blow in it before you can post that's anything. a great idea yeah. that's a great idea but if mine I wish mine like whenever I whenever I like type or whenever my thumb clicks to like into the text box to start typing I wish it would like pop up like are you sure you want to say this or like when you yeah, hit at post that, at that point I'm sure right next yeah. morning I'm like oh boy yeah well it would be fun if it, and I bet there's an app that's like d- confirm post where it's like, do you really want to post this to your 5,000 friends? It's like those boxes that, ha- you know, you have to put the, the letters, you know, type this to, to confirm you're not a robot. You know, it, that's I, what we need. Yeah, like, we need like, CAPTCHA. If you can, if you can write this. Identify yeah. the street signs yeah. in this photo. <laughs> Click every box that's a street sign that contains a street sign before you post this status yes. update. It's not a bad idea, man. It's because... It sucks that it's like that, though, you know, because the people that have big followings, the people that really capture the hearts and minds of the masses, I think are the people that put themselves out there the most frequently. Probably. You know, I mean, you've got to say what you think. And it's hard. And I think that what a guy has to do, and this is probably what I practice, is that you just have to do it as respectfully as possible. You can say what you think without being an asshole. And you can say what you think without being crazy offensive. You can certainly say it without tons of vulgarity, right? And there's sometimes that you just don't need to say it. Right. And sometimes you don't need to say it. Yeah, I skip over all kinds of political stuff. I'm like, God, these people are still going at it. Yeah, it's crazy, man. And, I mean, if you live a little bit by the golden rule of if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And, you know, it's fun. I think we're in a time where the funnest things to say are bag on stuff and you know jump on the hate bandwagon i've talked about it before but it feels like we're kind of in a time society wide where everybody just can't wait to get on social and bitch about and bitch about something you know they it's outrage porn somebody or someplace oh yeah oh the classic example is the waitress who got gypped on the tip they cannot wait to post on social that so and so came in Bought a five hundred dollar meal and left him twenty bucks. And you know what? Yeah, that guy's a prick. But I, I guarantee you, he ain't gonna turn around after he saw your post on social and go write that wrong. Yeah. He's not. Maybe he will do a better job the next time around. But I still don't think it's the same thing, man. I'm always shocked every time. And this doesn't happen much anymore. A little shout out to our office manager, Caroline, that we don't have nearly. 
we really don't have any issues with subscribers anymore. That was something that we had early in the infancy of Drag Illustrated. We just weren't prepared to have thousands of people subscribe to the magazine. We we knew it, we hoped it would happen eventually, but we would quickly become overwhelmed. And now we've got like software and all this fancy shit that kind of handles it for us, but there was a time when we would struggle with that and I remember someone we'd be late getting a magazine out or someone wouldn't get their magazine and Facebook post yeah. It's like could you just call oh. us man yeah. Could you just shoot us Shoot me a text My phone number's in the magazine Shoot us an email Call the 1-800 number Call call any There's like 60 numbers in the front of the magazine Call any of them and someone will help you But instead you make a post on Facebook And tell us how much you hate us It's awesome. shocking yeah. right And I hope it worked You know I hope it worked out for them And I'll tell you what most of the time what I do when I see that type of stuff Is we just delete them off the mailing list and send them their money back <laughs> So I'm a little bit salty about things like that. But still, it is kind of an interesting thing, man. So anyways, I want to I'll wrap up here our conversation. Murder Tundra joining us on this little single topic discussion. But I think we should do more of this where we have something that we want to talk about and we'll just talk about it. Instead, it was way more fun than me sitting here and trying to pen a really long blog post about it. And, you know, it's. It's fun to have these conversations. We've said for years that there's so many conversations and arguments and discussions that we've had that we wish we recorded because they're good and they're valuable. And all I want to say in closing is that no prep drag racing has a place. There's there's room in our industry for this brand of drag racing. I think it's brought a breath of fresh air, some some creative thinking, some colorful characters it's it's done a lot for a lot of small drag racing facilities and small tracks and i and i've got no problem with it i think there's been a lot of brands that have really latched onto it and used it as a as a tool to build their businesses and to grow their businesses i think that the up the upside far outweighs the the downside and we're going to tear up some race cars when we go drag racing it's bound to happen but I don't know that we can just exclusively point the finger at no prep drag racing and what it's done to kind of create stars out of some regular folks and give some people the opportunity to go race for big money and not have to do it in NHRA Pro Mod or not have to do it in Nitro Funny Car. A lot of these no prep races are the are some of the best paying drag races in the United States. And I think that their presence simply existing has put pressure on other promoters to pay more money. I know it did me when we were putting the World Series of Pro Mod together. I had $100,000 in the back of my mind, but I thought we could get away with less. Mm -hmm. Well, however, when they're racing a no prep race every other weekend for $25,000, I knew in my heart that it was a hundred grand or bust. A hundred grand or bust because we wouldn't be able to, to make a splash without that number. So, end of the day, no prep on the subject of no prep. I think more good than bad. I wish these guys well, all these guys well. And and I think in a, in a, in a coming interview that we're going to have in a couple of weeks, uh, actually next week with Dwayne Mills and Daniel Ferris, we're going to break down some of the nuances of, of the show trying to be a show and be a racing event and some of the problems that exist with that, which will be a lot of fun to kind of get it from the horse's mouth. So thanks, man. The mayor of Sykeston. The mayor of Daniel Sykeston. Ferris. Daniel Ferris. Unbelievable, <laughs> man. Thanks a lot, brother. All right. Thank you.